taken. And we, and the idea of doing a campaign, we say it's a, we're doing it as, a, as, a, as small groups together as the entire church, basically focusing on one thing. And the reason being is pretty simple. We live our lives so separated from one another that for for this season and fall, we want to go after something all together. Right. One thing all together, because what we found over the last couple of years is that it unifies us. It unifies us in in voice. It unifies us in, in vision and in purpose of what God is doing. And so the idea is that we want to do this small group campaign. In the last couple of years, we've done these video campaigns where you have guys or men and women that you've never seen before and don't know. We have no relationship with talking to you for a little bit of time and doing and leading you in your small group right on the video. And so this year we said we want to do something different. We want to do something that really fits exactly where we are and that instead of being face to face with somebody you don't know on a video screen that you are simply face to face with one another. And the idea of literally being in community and being in family together because we recognize this simple fact. If you're new to Vintage, this is your first Sunday. Welcome. And I want to kind of give you a, just, a, a, just a heads up of what's been happening the entire year. I've committed to Vintage to do one sermon series for the entire year. And the sermon series has been real life. That we believe that every single follower of Jesus, every single person who's in relationship with him, that there is a, 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 a level of their spiritual life that God is calling them to, that God wants to empower and lead them to live, and that is their real life. And the real life is modeled, to be completely honest with you, in the life of Jesus. Like, you know, we talk all the time about Jesus being God, but we miss the fact that he was 100% human. And the purpose of him living as a human being was to model for us what a human life, empowered by Jesus, empowered by his spirit, what it could live up to and look like and express. And so the idea is that we believe God's called and we recognize I don't know about you, but my life looks nothing like Jesus. You can ask my wife and kids, right? But I recognize he has me on this journey as he has all of us on this journey to live this real life. And we are committed to help lead you to that place. And so in our commitment to help you lead this real life, the abundant life, or the full life, or the life of the Spirit, the kingdom life, whatever language you've ever used in your, in your church vernacular throughout history of your church experience, we're calling it the real life, the real life that God has in mind for you. And we recognize something, we recognize two things. Number one, you can't move towards that real life unless you're all in. And that's what we're doing in fall. We can't, we can't, you can't move towards this real life unless you are all in, unless you are in agreement with Jesus. One of the things that we talked about two weeks ago that was so sobering for me, every time I read it, it's sobering. It says Jesus walked into his own, own hometown and he could only do a few miracles and he was amazed at their lack of faith. And that there was this there was this disconnect, this pulling back from and because of their lack of faith, their lack of belief, their lack of connection to Jesus, this lack of being all in. There was literally a limitation of what Jesus was able to do in his own hometown. And when I look at that, it sobers me. Because there's a lot of biblical Bible Jesus stuff that I'm not seeing happen in my own life or in our lives together at Vintage. 
And I don't receive that as like God doesn't like us. It's more of a look at us as an opportunity of what he has for us. And so for us in this real life that God has, that's a beautiful piece. Like, I wish I could sit down like face to face, men closer than I would with the women, so you know, right? And say, Jesus has a real life in store for you soon. All in, baby. All in. And we recognize it's difficult to be all in by yourself. And that's why we're looking at this and talking about it in the context of our small group campaign and our small groups. Why? Because it's unbelievably difficult to be all in and living your real life with just you, yourself, and your own little family in your house. You need the body of Christ. You need the family and you need a community of people who are around you and who are being honest with you and who are challenging you and who are pressing you and who are helping knock down your walls and letting you know your walls are up and who are challenging, who are calling you, who are speaking into your life. And we all know we're all really bad at doing that. Don't we? In the culture in which we live in America, where there are so many distractions and so many things out there, it's very, very, very easy to live disconnected and just talk about my family, forgetting that Jesus puts you in his family, which actually is now your family. I say it now and I'll say it forever. In the kingdom... The spiritual family is more important in the eyes of Jesus than the blood family. That's a biblical truth. What God puts together, man should not separate. The two shall become spiritually one. Leave father and mother. The spiritual connection. And the same is true for us. And we recognize that we live isolated, separated, going after our own stuff, not in community, not in family then it's difficult to live our real life and it's difficult to be all in. And so we want to help you. We're calling these things 242 groups. Isn't that novel, right? Because we're Acts 242, this idea of living life, doing life together. And the picture of it is simple. And this is what it's going to look like. Someone is going to open their home to you. And you're going to walk in. And you're going to say, how can I help? How can I clean? What can I bring? What can I do? Let me help. Let's all be together because everybody has their job to do in, the, in this family together, right? And then you're going to sit down and you're going to eat together. And I don't care if you do a five-course meal. I don't care if you do desserts. I don't care if you do wings and root beer one night. I don't really care what you do food-wise, but you're going to have food together, and you're going to be talking. You're going to be, we're going to give you every week, I'm going to give you some questions and some thoughts and some things to ponder. And then you're going to sit down, and you're going to intentionally open up your heart and your life and your weaknesses, and you're going to sit there and go... Mm, this is so good. I'm a terrible person. Mm, this is so great. Help me out. Mm, this is so good. Please pray for me as I eat my wings and I drink my root beer, right? That's the nature of it. Why? Because it's just real life. It's normal. I mean, I get tired of being part of these holy groups where you get together and you use a different language, a different voice when you talk. Oh, brother, I'm just with you right now. I'm like, stop. That weirds me out. Just tell me you're praying for me and lay hands on me and stop using your spiritual lingo. Just tell me, dude, I'm loving you, man. I'm praying because you're awful just like me. 
Let's live our real life together. I'm all in. I'm all in. Yeah, right? So that's what we're doing. So all I'm asking you to do is a couple of things. One, I'm just asking you to pray. We need people to be hosts. I need people to do this or this. That means opening the door to other people coming in. And so I'm asking you to do this. Just pray. Just pray. Like, listen, I don't have time to lead a group. I got so much stuff going on. I got so many things. I got my own family, my own calling, my own stuff, my own job, my own, all this kind of stuff, right? But I got to sit down and say, God, I know in my own flesh and mind that time is dictating how I live my life and my disconnect from family. I'm not going to allow that to happen anymore. Do you want me to, you want me, do you want us to open our door? Do you want to use us in that way? And I'm, I'm asking, if you, think that, if you think that vintage or say vintage is the church that you go to in your home church, then I'm asking you to say, God, would you want me to do this? And if he says yes, then you can pray because being really practical, help me manage my time so I can do this well. And he will, because James tells us, if any of you are lacking wisdom about your time, I'm adding that in, then he will give you wisdom. I'm asking you to pray into that. And then I'm just asking you to suck it up, be all in, eat your wings and drink your root beer, and be Jesus to one another because of this very reason. We believe God is doing something supernatural at Vintage that has nothing to do with us and our power and our strength, but that he's doing something in us and through us that literally transforms our community. It doesn't just get people saved. that gets them saved, gets them discipled, gets them deep with Jesus and making disciples of other people. Not just bringing more salvation. Listen, salvation is not enough. Salvation must lead to discipleship and being transformed into the image of Jesus for it to be true salvation. And if we are not doing that and leading people do that, then we are literally shortchanging the power of the gospel. And it has to happen through you letting people into your life and sharing life with them and being all in and doing it. Is that fair? I'm not trying to wait to you down. Go, oh, Steve's so mean. He's being so hard. No, I'm just helping you live your real life by being all in. Okay. So pray about it. And then once you do that, our Scott, our Scott, I just said our Scott. That's weird, right? Scott Crawford's right there. He's our Scott, right? But he set up a table outside that has this little all in thing on it. You can walk out there and just sign your name up real quick and you can host a group. and It'll be awesome. You all cool with that? All right. Thank you. Here we go. Let's dive in this morning. All right. So last week, if you weren't here, we we I'm gonna, we're going to we're going to start where we ended last week and we ended this place. We said this faith, hope and love are the eternal characteristics that should define every aspect of our spiritual life and every, and every aspect of our existence. Faith, hope and love. First Corinthians 13, they talk about all the spiritual gifts, right? Talking about the spiritual gifts because the Corinthian church, they, they prided themselves on being superior depending on what spiritual gift they had. And so there's this whole competition going on and they were making as a priority and this prominent piece of their faith, this working in the movement of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their life. And so Paul sits down in first Corinthians and says, let me show you the greater way and says, love, right? Without love, clinging symbols. Resounding gongs, all this type of stuff. But he says, he says, but let me. And he said, but all of these things will fade away. 
All of these things fade away. What you put all of your priority and put as preeminent and being number one, a spiritual depth is actually going away. There's only there are only three things that will remain. Faith. Hope and love. These are the eternal characteristics that God is leading us to in our real life. If they are eternal, it means they should be the primary things that we are giving ourselves to as in, and we recognize as desiring as the primary markers and characteristic of our own life. So if eternity began the moment you gave your life to Jesus and these three things remain in eternity, a faith in God, a confidence and trust and belief in him, right? A hope in him that he will move in his timing. And so we wait with confidence because his overwhelming love is an umbrella over all of it that he has to do this because he is true to himself, because he loves us so powerfully. Then, yes, the faith and hope will define my existence because he loves me if that's where we that those are eternal in nature, then we are giving ourselves to those things. And listen, not satisfied if our lives are marked by other characteristics. If they're eternal in nature, then shouldn't they be the things that we're devoting ourselves to now? Because eternity has already begun for us. And so we said, faith, hope, and love. So look at me real quick. Some of you are really stinky at faith, hope, and love right now. You know what I mean? Like, you're just like, they're not like brimming over. They're not like pouring out of you. Like, you just would, you may not use a different word, but you're stinky at those things. Like, yeah, they're not, they're not really coming out of me right now. Woo, right? Must be a bad Christian. Whatever it may be, right? We're struggling. We're wrestling in these pieces. But look at me and hear me. Without condemnation, without your, your feelings and your emotions defining you, I'm telling you, this is God's destiny for you now through Jesus to live your life not marked by characteristics of, this, of, our, of the world, but defined by faith, hope, and love. We look at our lives and we find ourselves, right? That our existence, our family, our faith, our work, our relationships, our emotions and our feelings, and even our perspective on how we view things can be, will be, and should be defined by faith, hope, and love. When you look at situations with your family, do faith, hope, and love drive that? Like the hard things. Like you know faith, hope, and the struggle of receiving love, like we, we talk about those in the context of hell breaking loose in your life. Faith is not faith unless faith is required. Right? You know what I mean in that? It's like, yeah, I got faith. And all of a sudden something comes and requires faith. Like, I'm just kidding. I don't have it. Right? You know what I mean? So faith and hope, these are things that must be present when all hell is breaking loose. If you want to create a perspective this morning of what I'm talking about, just think ISIS and Iraq with the Christians that are under persecution. Like, that's an extreme, real-life example that's in a bigger picture than what you're dealing with yourself, but it's the same type picture. All hell is breaking loose. Do I have faith, and do I hope in his movements, even with the soldiers bearing down? Does this type of faith, hope, and love define your existence? 
And this is what God's leading us to. But I've, what I've found is this. Do your feelings. How many of you are driven by feelings and emotions? Having a great day. Someone's mean. Oh, I hate life. We're defined by our feelings, aren't we? We're defined by our emotions. We all are. But do you realize that faith, hope, and love? Listen, all of these pieces, listen, are to bow down to the lordship of Jesus Christ, of the nature of faith, hope, and love. When I say lordship, I mean he's just big and in charge of everything, and he's bigger than you. Praise God. And so they bow down. We bow all of these pieces of ourselves, these fallen places, they bow down to these things. I wonder, have you taken inventory this week of how you're doing at things bowing down to the lordship of Jesus in the area of faith, hope and love? Have you taken inventory? Like, do you literally sit back and go, oh, I have anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, Anger, unforgiveness, tension, stress, depression, all of these things are defining my life. But it's just life. It's not the real life. And so I say, God, then in my real life, those things must bow down. Let me tell you a story from this week. I'm kind of letting you behind the curtain just a little bit, okay? So my, my middle school experience was less than awesome when I was a kid. Right. Like pretty much hated it. Let's be honest. Right. Go to middle school. And it was I struggled. I went from a school like that uh, where I went from elementary school and like let like a very, very small percentage of people shifted from my elementary school to my middle school. So I went to school. I didn't know anybody. I walk into my classroom I'm like, oh, my gosh, awkward. Right. Don't know anybody here. I'm such a loser. Right. So I felt this tension. I felt this weight. I'm sure none of you experienced anything like that. Right. I was not I was not attractive. I had these terrible teeth, had the butt cut going on. Right. I had terrible smiles. Like there was nothing attractive about me as a middle schooler. Right. There was nothing that would that would this endear people to me. Right. And so so here I am living this life and, and it was a difficult life. And so all of a sudden, Anna Catherine, my oldest, she's now going up to middle school. Going to the sixth grade and I find myself also I'm going to open house and I'm putting on a good front because I'm a friendly guy. I've learned how to control this. But inside I'm going, oh, my gosh, God, this is going to be terrible. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be awful. She's going to be miserable. No, but like same scenario. Only a small percentage of her school is going to middle school, too. Oh, God. Oh, and I'm living this place. So she comes home on Monday and I find myself, oh, God, maybe it could be good. And she comes home. How was it? Terrible. Because I'm on Tuesday. How was it? I hated it. Comes home Wednesday. It's awful. And I'm going, oh, God, and I'm living this place of just and like and I recognize like this is terrible. And so I go to Randall and Randall says something. I'm like, I mean, she just basically looks at me. And she says, I think she's working you. Such compassion, right? But God, you like in the moment, like all of a sudden God just took that and like the scales fell off and all of a sudden. I began to, because I just this understanding of like getting worked and what that means and what it's preying upon in my own flesh, right? It's like, I get this. And so I'm sitting here going, God, what's going on? So I'm like, I start spending time in prayer. I kind of, all right. So I go on Thursday morning and here, this, this is where it gets good. So Thursday morning, I, get, I go downstairs, everyone's asleep. <clears throat> and I sit down with Jesus. Like one of those times, right? And I sit down with Jesus and. I said, all right, God, what's going on? And out of great love, great mercy, and great compassion, this was not like a condemnation thing. He said, 
just asked me, how are you doing with faith, hope, and love regarding your daughter in middle school? I was like, touche. Good. He exposed my insecurities. He exposed my brokenness. He exposed these areas of my heart. And I said, God. And, I, and, I, and this is on the screen. It says, I pray that I, if I am not experiencing and exhibiting faith, hope, and love in this situation, then I am missing you. Because these are the eternal characteristics. And these are the thoughts going through my head, right? I'm replaying my message that I'm telling you to do that I'm not doing that I need to be doing myself, right? I'm replaying these pieces going, God, I've missed you. But thank you for opening my eyes. So I began to pray. God, I don't know what to do in this. God, I need help. God, and all of a sudden he says, Stevie says, don't forget, I love your daughter more than you love her. And all of a sudden, because I knew his love, it was like I felt myself, literally, if you can see your, like in your mind's eye, like I was like, I felt like I really had this picture of me being crunched down in this place of like servitude and brokenness, and like I'm losing the battle. And all of a sudden I prayed, God, you love my daughter. Would you well up faith? God, would you exercise, have me exercise faith and hope because you love her. My faith is in you that you're moving and i hope god in time that in your timing and your sovereign will that you will move and bring breakthrough in her life and all of a sudden guys i began to pray and i stood up i just stood up i began to pray and say god you love my daughter more than i do and by god i have faith that you will bring breakthrough that you will bring friends that you will bring connections god and i hope god it may not happen today or tomorrow or even this week or next week the week after god but i hope i'm going to stand at the door of breakthrough through knowing that you love her too much to not bring breakthrough. And I'll tell you something, guys. I said in my DNA group on Friday night, Friday morning, says, when I went to pray, I got to read this. When I went to pray, I felt God's power moving in me. And I knew that I had won a victory in prayer that morning. Praise God. Because I stood there in the moment. Yes, it was good. It's like I said, God, I don't have to be defined by worry, anxiety, and fear because that's not the real life. And God, you know I'm all in. And so, God, I'm praying, would you well this up up inside of me because I can't make faith, hope, and love happen. God, awaken me. I'm crying out for your awakened love. Awaken love. Because when God's love is awakened inside of us, his love for us, then there's faith. You can't, you can't not trust and believe God when he awakens you to the fullness of the power of his love for you. I said, God, overwhelm me. I'm not going to go anywhere today. I spend, listen, I spend all these are my two prayers. I didn't get this at nine o'clock, so here's this is free. I pray these two prayers every day. You should write these down. God, I pray this. Holy Spirit, give me the grace to love you today. Excuse me, give me the grace today to love Jesus the way the Father loves him. Give me grace today to love Jesus whether the Father loves him. That's a biblical truth. That's a biblical reality. The second is God. Give me the grace to understand God's love for me the same way Jesus understood it. Grace to love, grace to know love. Because when I recognize when I'm awakened to the fullness of his love, I can't help but love him back and love others. So, this is where we are. This nature of faith, 
hope and love. We're all desiring it. We're all in. We want that. Some of us are struggling more than others today with that. And I get that. And I would say to you, there's grace. There's God's blessing. There's God's movement. He desires to do this. And we come to this place of giving up saying, God, I can't do it anymore. My own strength. God, I need you this week and I can't move until you move. And then he says, thank you for getting out of the way. Let me pour my river of grace into you. That's the nature of grace. In humility, our inability, he pours it out. So we see this pictured in Paul. I want to read it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to go 26 to 31. They're going to go from 31 to verse 5 of chapter 2. Let's read. It says this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Speaking reality about who they are. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Verse 29. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I've already named the historical background. Paul's writing to these people who were hyper-competitive. They had this culture of superiority, right, of, of status. And so he's stepping into the moment and he's saying, listen, I hear your arguments. Some of you are like, I've been, I've been baptized by Peter. I've been baptized by Paul, so I'm better. I've been Paul, baptized by Apollos, so I'm better. Well, I've been baptized in Jesus. I win. Ha, 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 right? Whatever it may be. That's like the infinity clause right there. Well, infinity, infinity. Okay, you win, right? So I've been baptized by Jesus in this, right? You have this whole dynamic going down. And so Paul's looking at him saying, listen, you're arguing about how great you are. Don't you remember who you actually are apart from God? Look, he names, he says, what he says, he says, you not, you are not wise by human standards. You are not influential. You are not of noble birth. You are foolish in the eyes of the world. You are weak and actually despised. You are nothing. Paul is speaking of this, this reality of a low view of humanity or a realistic view of humanity in comparison to God's greatness. But he goes on, he says, God chose the foolish things. God chose the lowly things. Basically, he's saying you're only something because of the work that God did in you. So stop boasting in who you are and your selfishness and making life all about you. Right. Because you're nothing in comparison to God. Stop boasting. I mean. None of us in this room like people who boast. And nobody likes you when you do it. Just a clarifying point. Nobody likes people who boast. Why? Because in boasting, they're arrogant, they're conceited. There are, there are people who are talking about the, with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about their own achievements, their own possessions, their own powers, and their own abilities. Don't you get annoyed with those people? Because basically, the only reason they tell you those stories is to tell you why they're better than you. You know those people? I've been that person before. I work really hard to put anyone on my level because I have a hard time with someone being smarter and better than me. So I look for all the chinks in their armor to tear them down. That's why I'm really good at gossip. Just put the gossip train on to bring them down from their high place. That's my gift to them to make myself better, right? 
And so we find ourselves in this gossip train. We find ourselves in the boats. We find ourselves in this place around people who make everything about their possessions, their achievements, their power and their abilities and their self-satisfaction in it and the pride and the conceit and the arrogance of it. And Paul is speaking to these people in Corinth. He's saying, do you recognize that you were nothing apart from God? See, with a point, the point I want to make is this. The only way that we can experience power in our lives and through our lives is that we live in a posture of faith, hope, and love before God. See, that is a posture of dependence. The only posture that cultivates this supernatural work of God, the power being released in our lives and cultivates this boasting in the Lord is a place of posture, a posture of faith, hope and love, because this is dependence on him. I have faith in God, not self. I have faith in God. I have hope in God. And it's his love that changes me. This is the nature of Paul was devoted to make much of Jesus to center people's faith, hope and love in God. And not himself. he came in this context of ministry saying it's not about self. Right. Let me let's bring it back to the first story. Do you know why I was struggling so much with fear, worry, doubt and anxiety in the story of Anna Catherine? Because I lost control. And my power and my abilities and my achievements and my ability to woo and to connect and include and do all this great relational stuff. I am left impotent in the moment with with no ability in my own power to make something happen for her. Do you know what what would have happened, though, if she had come home with all these new best friends? I would have found some way to celebrate it as my victory. Well, that's because of me, Anna Catherine. Let's make it all about me. Definitely not your mom, right? It's all about me. Let's talk about how great I am in helping raise you up as a great child and be friends. <laughs> no, I don't know what happens. You go home, I hate it. I'm like, oh, I failed. I'm so God, I can't do oh, Right? I found myself in that moment. I found myself in that moment of self-boasting. I can make these things happen of self. And I lost control. And I'm found, I'm left flailing. Isn't that how we feel a lot of times, parents? Flailing. Some of you have much grander stories than I do. We're flailing. We find ourselves, we find ourselves marked by worry, fear, anxiety, doubt, all of these pieces, don't we? But Paul comes in and he says this beautiful piece. I want you to read this. We're going to start back in verse 31 to connect. Your Bibles never should have separated verse 31 from verse 1. You should, you should take it and kind of connect them, erase that part, the, the space in between. Because it says, verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me. Do you see that connection? There's no break there in Scripture. When Paul actually wrote it, it was a direct boom, 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 boom. There was no, there was no verses. There were no chapter breaks. There were no chapter titles. It was, who, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. He goes on. When I came to you, I mean, remember, don't forget who Paul was. Paul was an orator. 
Paul was much smarter than all of them, a greater knowledge of God and Jesus than all of them. He had had more experience, more training, more everything than all of them. Right. He's one of those guys like, you know, those churches you go to, and they bring the big names in who do all the fireworks and stuff like like Paul's one of those guys. And Paul comes in and says, I actually when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you see him? He's like, I didn't come in my own strength. I didn't come in my own power. I didn't come telling my own stories about the things I had done in my history. I didn't spend 45 minutes building myself up so you would follow me and trust me and give me money, right? I came simply for one reason. I came to make much of Jesus. I did not come my own eloquence. I didn't come in my own strength. I came to you in verse 3 in weakness with great fear and trembling. Listen, if someone ever comes to you and talks about how awesome they are, whether it's in your job, whether they're coming as a consultant in your business or come to your church because of the big name. They spend a long time telling you all the stories of how great they are. Don't listen to them. Be very afraid of them because they want to build you up by the things that they've done. Paul comes. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Do you see what Paul's getting at? Can you apply this to your life at all? He's coming and saying, listen, I could have come my own words. I've been better than all of y'all. I could have come my own power because I've got some, right? Don't forget, humans have power. You know that, right? Ever read the story of the Tower of Babel? Whatever men put their minds to do, they can do. There is power that we have. We can make things happen. So he confused their languages, right? There is power that we have. Listen, how many of you know people who have the power to manipulate in sin? And it is a real gift and a real power. God, may I never do that. And Paul comes into the moment, right? He says, I have power. But I shelved it because I wanted your faith and your knowledge of Jesus to be based on him and not on what I've done. I came in fear and trembling. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I came in fear and trembling. Why? Because he has reverence for the Lord. He has reverence for God. God, I, I am. If they can't, I don't want them to bow down to me. They need to bow down to you. It's not that they can't tell my story. They got to tell your story. Reverence and fear, holy fear of God's holiness, right? I came to you in weakness. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words. I got myself out of the way and said, God, do your thing. The beautiful picture, the posture of Paul is a posture of humility, not trusting self, his own wisdom, his own eloquence, coming with the fear and trembling and reverence for God, right? So that God could demonstrate his power. I sat before God and said, I have nothing I can't fix. I'm overwhelmed. Um, he, said, he says, how are you doing in faith, hope, and love? How are you doing it not boasting in self, not focusing on self? How are you doing it making much of me and focusing on me and giving any captain to me? How well are you doing it having confidence that I love her more than you do and that you can hope in my coming in her life? I love Paul's word. He did not come with persuasive words. So the Corinthians faith would not be based on it, right? 
Instead, he came saying, demonstrate your power, God. Demonstrate your power. He came dependent upon God, a posture of dependence, of faith in God, hope in God because of God's love, right? Here's my question for you. It's a reality check. It's not condemnation. It's just to help you. Like you recognize, I'm not saying anything to condemn you. I'm the same boat as you are. I simply recognize God puts his finger on things in my life to help me get over them. So here's my question. Everybody pay attention. Wake up. Here we go. Here are some signs that you are self-dependent. Here are some signs that you are self-dependent. Your life is marked by worry in everything. Your life is marked by anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, stress, hatred of people, self-centeredness, right? The searching for status, competing with the Joneses, popularity contest. And, you know, you can go on and on and on, right? Anything in your life that is not marked, is not bowing down to faith in God because, and hope in him because of his undeniable, all-encompassing love for you. It's not to beat you up and make you feel bad. It's to give you hope that your life doesn't have to suck like it does right now. Can I get an amen on that one, somebody? Even though I said that word. Because it's true. You stay behind closed doors. 242, man. Eating wings, talking real life, not being all hyper-spiritual. Get over it. Die to religion, please. A word of encouragement. This was, listen, I want you this week. Here's the word. Go read some of these scriptures this week. I want you to go put those scriptures on the screen, Hayden, whoever that is back there. I want you to listen. Stories of faith, hope and love. Right. Read how they're fleshed out in real people's lives and scripture. We see the story right here. First thing in 14 It's Jonathan going up and defeating a whole army with one other guy. Because maybe God will go with us. What? Me and my armor bearer, which means he's not even a real warrior, right? He's just an armor bearer. Hey, hold my armor. You're not strong enough to really fight and hold a big sword, right? Just carry my stuff. You're great, Mm-mm, right? You do that. Let's go up. I think maybe God will give us over. Man. How do you exercise that type of faith in your life? Next story is First Samuel 17. I mean, it's like the one you grew up with. Paul, David, I'm going to say Paul and Goliath, David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath. If you don't know the story, big guy, little man, right? And little man, just let you know the story. Little man wins because God, he knew God, listen, because he somehow believed that God would fight for him. Who does that these days? Real life people do it. Goes on in First Kings 18. It's the story of Elijah and all these prophets of Baal, and they're all carrying swords. One verse thousands or hundreds, I can't remember, forgive me, but it's lots of people versus one person. And God, <laughs> don't miss that part, right? God shows up. Acts chapter 4, this is beautiful. Again, I want you to think ISIS, I want you to think Iraq. Peter and John, they are persecuted for their faith. They come back to 242, all the believers together and say, God, we're a little bit worried. Read it. We're a little bit worried. We're a little bit anxious. There are a lot of them and few of us and they're bigger and have swords and they can beat us up. But we're praying that you would give us faith to proclaim the word even more boldly, God, throughout the throughout the countries, whatever it says. Read that. Daniel chapter 3, you know the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The idea of these stories 
expressing and exposing what the real life as a follower of Jesus is your destiny to live. And the question is, are you all in? And are you doing in the context of family and community? I don't mean your nuclear family inside of your four walls. I mean in real biblical community, doing life together, setting aside time to be with Jesus and all in with other people. Why? Because our lives are to be marked by faith, hope, and love because they are eternal in nature. It is a, it's a posture of dependence. And when we live in that place, God's power, I'm letting you know, just flows freely. And when you sit in prayer to pray for your daughter or your son or your situation, you stand up and say, we just won the battle, Jesus. We just won the moment. This is awesome. Everybody has to do this because this is what it's all about. Hallelujah. I stood in that room, y'all. And I can just spun in circle. I was like, this is amazing. I was like, yes. I mean, I was just like this loud because nobody was at home, right? I was like, this loud. It was awesome. It was so good. And that, my friends, is the real life that God has for you. And if you're not living it, I simply want to invite you to be all in. Does that excite you at all? Because what he has for us. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I come this morning and I pray for those who don't know you, Jesus. Some of this makes sense, some of it doesn't, but I pray you'd bring revelation, that you'd just come with your power and you'd help them understand what you're trying to say to them in this moment. Because, God, the real life is for us, your your children. You have this for us, God, to be all in. And, Lord, we ask this morning, Jesus, that you would come. I, God, I recognize that there are so many people in different places in their life, God. They're their own things, God, that they're wrestling with an anxiety and all these, these self-dependent traits, God. But... But, Lord, I, and I recognize, Jesus, that they're struggling. And so I ask, Holy Spirit, that you, would, that you would empower them and enable them to step into your faith and your hope because of your love for them. What I'm asking, I recognize this morning, God, some people just don't, do not know the fullness and the power of your love. I pray that they would, God, as we talked about, Lord, in Ephesians, Lord, that I pray that you would give them power through your spirit to know the depth, the width, and the height of you and breadth of your love, Jesus, that you would come and give them a knowledge that's beyond knowing. Ephesians 1, God, uh, this is of, of your love for them, Jesus. Because when you awaken them, faith all of a sudden becomes alive. Hope becomes alive. And God, some people this morning I just are wrestling in that. And God, I, you know that they can't do anything in their own strength to make all of that happen. They need grace. They need your movement that they haven't earned. That's what I'm asking for this morning. I pray for an atmospheric change in their lives. You give them faith, hope, and love as a defining characteristic of everything that hell is bringing at them. And God, as they stand before the work of the enemy, whether it's as grave as in Iraq today, or it's as simple as a thing that I named about my own family. I pray in that moment, God, that there'd be faith, hope, and love that well up because of your love for them. But we're, we're, I'm just going to say, God, we're not content until we're living like that. Make us wholly discontent, Jesus, with living less than what you have for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.